Welcome to the podcast, Not So Serious, presented by Marketing Mag. This is the podcast about communications, but not so serious. Each episode, we're going to talk to a brand or a business about how they used their marketing to make waves, not ripples. Saving the environment is no easy feat, but for our guest today, it's at the forefront of his business. Today, we have the founder of Zero Co, Mike Smith, joining us. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for having me. Super pumped to be here. Great. Um, I guess, well, let's start from the start. Can you talk to me about Zero Co, how it started and the journey that has led you to be here today? I can talk to you about Zero Co. I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about Zero Co. <laughs> So first of all, what is ZeroCo? So we're on a mission to solve the global single-use plastic problem. That's what we set out to do um, about 18 months ago. To do that, we need to do two things. We need to stop single-use plastic being made, used once, and thrown in the bin. And we need to work out a way to get all of the plastic that's made its way into our ocean out of the ocean. So that's what ZeroCo does, those two things. Stop single-use plastic, fund ocean cleanups. We do that by making a range of personal care and home cleaning products. So stuff like shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, laundry liquid. We deliver them direct to Aussie homes in what we call forever bottles, which are bottles that you keep at your home and refill for a lifetime. They are made from plastic waste pulled out of the ocean. As a result of selling our forever bottles in our first 18 months, we've pulled 900,000 water bottles worth of rubbish out of the ocean and we're just getting started. You then refill your forever bottle with a returnable, refillable pouch. So you fill up your forever bottle with your pouch. Then when your pouch is empty, you send it back to us. We clean it, sanitize it, refill it, and send it back out to another customer. So the pouch stops single-use plastic. The forever bottle funds ocean cleanups. I mean, (laughs) to go from the start, (laughs) you you say you only do two things. They're two pretty major things. (laughs) They're pretty big things. They're pretty big things. And and, and I've I've been talking about ZeroCo for 18 months now. And I'm yet to work out a quicker way to explain it than that. I wish I could. I wish you could just be like, we make widgets, yeah. but no, it's quite complicated. It's quite complex, but that's as quick as I can explain what we do. Well, I think that the thing that must change all the time is the 900,000, you know, soon it'll be Keeps a million. Up. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. And I mean, in 18 months, it's a really incredible feat to do. So ZeroCo really works by you've created like your own economy within that. So things are then reusable within that. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. The, the whole business model here is is built around this elusive circular economy, right? You, you hear lots of people talking about the circular economy. There are lots of academic papers written about it. There are lots of TEDx talks about it. Um, there's lots of big companies talking about it. There are very few people actually building circular supply chains, right? Um, and, the, and the reason that is, is because it's really freaking hard. You know, we've had to build this entire business model from the ground up. Um, we've had to convince external supply chain partners to completely re-engineer their business. Mm. And, and it's really complicated. It's really complex. Uh, you know, it's never been done before. There's probably 10 world firsts that we've done in, in our first 18 months. So I get that it's really hard. I get that it's complicated, but We are trying to prove to the really big businesses out there, the big polluters, the big global companies, that a circular supply chain, a circular economy is real, it is feasible, it is scalable, and it is profitable. And if we can do that as a little tiny company based in Australia, then there's no reason why the big guys um, can't change their ways, re-engineer their supply chains and stop making stuff that gets used for a couple of weeks and chucked in the bin and ending up in landfill. So you said you had you've had about ten world firsts. Give us give us a yeah. couple. <laughs> okay, so 
first time that we're aware of, at least in Australia, that a company has gone out and pulled rubbish at scale out of the ocean, processed that plastic here in Australia to make it usable, then turned that ocean plastic into a bottle that can live forever at your house, right? We're yet to find anyone who's done all of that here in Australia. Um, We're yet to find anyone anywhere in the world who has built a reusable pouch that's made from recycled materials. We're yet to find anyone in the world who has built a pouch cleaning machine, which we've spent 18 months and about $500,000 developing from scratch with local engineers, literally designed and made in the Mm. Byron Bay area, um, which gives us the capacity to clean and sanitize a million pouches in a year using less water than one Aussie household. That's that's the goalpost that we're running towards. Um, we've had about 200,000 pouches returned to us already. So we are sprinting towards um, this, this goalpost. So that's just a, a couple of things that yeah. we've done that no one has ever gone and done before anywhere in the world. Is one of the roadblocks that you have the, the regular Joe Schmo? Let's think about that. And how conscious are they in protecting the environment? Because I think that you can be stuck in these social vacuums of believing that every single person is out there to do the right thing. But how realistic is that for you when you're marketing that product or when you're creating that product? From my perspective, We've been really mindful from day one that we want to have a massive scaled impact on this problem. And the only way we're going to do that is if we get everyday people from all walks of life, from all around the world to join the mission, right? Um, and so to do that, there's a couple of really key things. First of all, it needs to be convenient, right? Uh, at the end of the day, people are busy and they've got much more important things to think about than their dishwashing liquid or their deodorant bottle, right? It's just just not something you think about all day, every day. Unlike me, because I'm a bit of a weirdo with this stuff, I think about these things all day, every day. But the average punter doesn't. So we have to make it as easy as possible for them to stop using single-use plastic. And we need to make it as accessible from a price point perspective. So they're the two things that we've tried to do. All of our products are line priced with what you would buy in the supermarket. So our laundry liquid is the same price as Omo. Um, our hand wash is the same price as Thank You. Um, our deodorant is the same price as Rexona. So price point is accessible. And then in terms of the returns process, we make that as easy as possible. So every time you purchase 15 pouches, we send you a free return envelope postage paid. So all you have to do is put your empty pouches in the return envelope and send them back to us. We cover the cost and we then clean them and refill them and send them back out. So I think that mainstream Australia, everyday Aussies really do want to be part of this solution. That's one of the most heartening things we have found. You know, we've got 60,000 customers who have now purchased from us in our first 18 months and they're people from all over Australia. It's not just kind of inner city hipsters and and lefties, um, my kind of mates. It's It's not just those people. It's, you know, grandparents in regional Australia. It's tradies in mining towns. Um, It's people all around Australia from all walks of life that have started using Xerico and made the pledge to kind of ditch single-use plastic. So I'm incredibly heartened by where we've gotten to and how many people want to be part of this solution. Why cleaning products? What was the first thought around why that was the first thing to do? It's not exactly the sexiest thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally hit the nail on the head. Um, So when I first started thinking about this idea, I, I was completely agnostic about what industry I was going to go into. And what I did was I started spending an uncomfortable amount of time at the supermarket 
following people around, watching how they were shopping, being a bit of a creep, pulling the, you know, pulling the bottles across on the shelf and peering through the shelf at other people on the other side of the aisle. And I found myself spending more and more time in the last three aisles of the supermarket, which is the personal care and home cleaning aisle, right? And as you say, there's nothing sexy about these products, um, particularly when you get into some of the cleaning products. You know, toilet cleaner is not a particularly <laughs> sexy product, but those three aisles that is shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, body lotion, laundry liquid, dishwashing liquid, all those products, those aisles in the supermarket, it's just wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, single-use plastic, right? There's over a billion, that's a B, billion with a B, single-use plastic bottles of personal care and home cleaning products go in the bin in Australia every year, a billion, right? It's it's an insane amount of single-use plastic. And I just said, hey, th- this is an industry that's ripe for innovation because it is super unsexy. There's been no brands coming in and doing interesting, cool things. Mm. And there's been no innovation around packaging and, and single-use plastic. So it, to me, it felt like this big, wide-open opportunity. There was a massive category that needed to completely change for the sake of the planet. So that's how we got into personal care and and home cleaning. Yeah, I mean, I think that's amazing because what you would see in the past or still in the present is people have their laundry really organised, but they've taken the single-use plastic and emptied it into some cute jar from Kmart and then that goes straight in the bin. Totally, yep. Let's talk about some of the roadblocks that Zero Co faces. Now, we mentioned before that you uh, make sure that your price is matchable. Because I do think when you hear sustainables, particularly like sustainable fashion or things like that, you get a too expensive basket or maybe things aren't as high quality if you hear about sustainable cleaning products. So what are some of the roadblocks that you really feel that Zero Co face to begin with? Oh, my goodness. How long have we got for this podcast? (laughs) Sky's the limit. (laughs) It just feels like a a never-ending winding road full of potholes and dead ends and brick walls that we've had to jump over and drive through and dodge and jump around. But I think some of the things you spoke about there around quality or efficacy, you know, we we were really mindful from day one in saying there's no point launching this amazing company with this huge big mission to solve the single-use plastic problem if you don't have amazing products because people are just not going to reorder. So that for us, that's the price of admission into this industry. Um, and we've gone and built a team of experts to help us del- deliver these products. We went and got Dr. Kate Forbes, who used to be the global head of innovation at Aesop, mm. um, to come in and oversee our product development so that we can deliver products that are as good, if not better, than not even what you're buying at the supermarket, but premium, you know, personal care products as well. Um, so hand on heart, you know, we can say that our products are incredible. We've had them all independently lab tested for, you know, things like laundry liquid that has a, you know, a real efficacy quotient. We've had all of the, those kind of products tested against the market leading brands and, and, you know, all the results of those are on our website and we, we perform better than most of them, to be honest with you. So that's, I think this customer perception around sustainability equals doesn't work as well. We've had to massively flip the the dial on that and say that, you know, sustainable products can work and actually do work better um, in lots of cases now. I think that that's a really important thing is make, creating brand trust around it as well because there's also moments that I think that people lose brand trust when you find out that what you thought was sustainable isn't as sustainable or things like that as well. So people can be where we're, we're cynical peoples, I think. And I think particularly in the industry that we're in, there's, you know, this, there's all this talk about greenwashing as, as a kind of mm. concept that lots of people are, are out there talking about. And I think lots of big companies are getting themselves into a lot of hot water a lot of trouble because they are, you know, making these big grandiose claims about, 
you know, we are going to do something by the year 2050. And mm. it's easy to be cynical when you hear a big company make a big claim about something they're going to do in 30 years' time, not, not stuff they're actually doing today or not stuff they've done yesterday. I think one of the things that we've learned around this space is, you know, we combat that with this concept of radical transparency, right, and just wearing our hearts on our sleeves and literally hiding nothing. You know, we on our website we show stuff like what our cost of goods are, what's our GP margin, what our breakdown is, like how much money do we make selling a bottle of hand wash to you, which, you know, nobody else in our industry does. We list yeah. all of the ingredients. We list all of our suppliers. A number of our competitors have now gone and started working with our suppliers because we've made that publicly available, which nobody does. While cynicism is high, I think if you are honest and you're radically transparent and you don't hide anything, then it's actually a really powerful tool to rally people to your mission. That's certainly something we found. And you're not just using Earth Day to put up what products you use and things like that. I think that there's a day for everyone to put on a code of being that, you know, being that activist or being an ally or something like that. And if you're able to do it 364 out of 365, like including that day, it's a really important thing. Yeah, totally. Look, we, we have a saying here that it's Earth Day every day at Zeroco. It's not just this one day of the year that big companies go and say, oh, we care about the planet today. Great. Yeah. It's Earth Day every day. That's, that's the reason I started this company. We, we are not, you know, we're not eco-warriors. We're not crazy, hardcore, chain ourselves to tree type people. We're, mm. we're just everyday people that, that see you know this massive impact that the plastic in particular is having on the planet i'm a surfer i hate seeing rubbish in the ocean so we just got together and said let's try and solve this problem and i guess also do it in this way that is inviting that that kind of inspires people to join us i think yes. sometimes people can get a little bit too carried away and caught up in trying to save the planet quote unquote and, and it can sometimes turn people away so we try and you know, we try and make people laugh. We try and make people smile, get a little giggle out of someone. If you can do that whilst getting them to help make the planet a little bit better, then you're going to win long-term. Well, I think that that segues really nicely into talking about the brand itself and the message that you guys have. I don't think that it is abrasive or holier than thou, which I just think that there's some of these brands that really do have that. How important was creating copy and brand language for you guys to invite people? Yeah, totally. It's absolutely critical and it didn't happen by accident, right? This, This was really well thought out right from day one, which was basically coming from this philosophical place of we are trying to build a people-powered solution to this problem. I personally don't believe that governments are going to solve this problem. I don't believe that um, charities or not-for-profits are going to solve this problem. And I don't believe that big business is going to solve this problem. I think it's going to be a movement of the people, you know, inspiring lots and lots and lots of people to make really small changes, starting small, making a tiny little change to the way they buy things, the way they consume things adds up to a massive impact globally. So, if we're trying to build a people-powered solution, if that's how we solve this problem, then we need to invite people to be part of the mission from day one. Um, and so that means never talking down to people, never mm. thinking that we are better than anyone because we're not, not pretending that we're experts. I say nearly every single day, I am not an expert in this, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're all just, everyone at Zerico is just kind of muddling and fuddling our way through this solution that we're building in real time. Being, again, being vulnerable, wearing our hearts on our sleeves, being transparent is super critical to making, well, to inspiring people to, to want to be part of this thing because it's not some money-driven, corporate, you know, opaque thing. It's just a bunch of real people trying to solve this problem in real time and getting as many people as possible to come on the journey. If 
you're going to feel good as a consumer like that. That's also a win for the consumer as well as for you guys. Totally. If we can make someone smile while they're doing something good for the planet, even better if we can make you laugh, take yeah. the piss out of ourselves, do silly things that make you kind of giggle while you're doing something that's awesome for the planet, then that's how we will win the long game. How did you find first going it? So you've been around for about 18 months. Going into market, what was the brand kind of strategy or what was the, the primary marketing strategy for you guys to start off with? It was about building community from day one. Mm. So that began by launching a Kickstarter project, which was, you know, two and a half years ago now, before we even had the product fully developed, before we had all of our supply chain partners, before we'd hired anyone, we went out to the world and said, hey, we've got this idea to solve this big problem and we can't do it by ourselves. We need you guys to get behind us. And we ended up having, you know, 12,000 Aussie households come on board before we'd even kind of developed a product, which was incredible. And then from there on, Mm. it's just been living that ethos of, of a people-powered solution and doing everything we can to build community. And that has extended as far as now, you know, at the back end of last year, we invited our customers to become shareholders in our business. You know, we raised $5 million from 3,000 customers. So I now have 3,000 business partners in this company, which are all people who've supported us from day one. It's absolutely central and critical to everything we do is this real genuine community-based movement. What's your background, Mike? How did you kind of get into ZeroCo or in had you worked um, in this kind of space of sustainability before? Had you worked in marketing? Because obviously you understand brand and you understand the essentialness of community and making genuine connection with people. So is that something that you had done previously? So I, I am woefully unqualified <laughs> to, to be the guy that's trying to solve the global single-use plastic problem. <laughs> I've never worked in a kind of fast-moving consumer goods company before. I've never worked in the plastics industry before. I'm not an engineer. I'm not an industrial designer. Um, I've never worked in recycling. I've had to learn all of this stuff. I'm still learning every day, basically. My, mm. I, I guess my background has been I've, I've built, this is the third kind of startup that I've built now. So I've, I've been in the startup trenches and I've learned from many, 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 many mistakes, <laughs> many failures, <laughs> many um, setbacks, many no's, the importance of things like, you know, being radically transparent, building community, placing the customer and the community at the heart of everything you do, delivering exceptional quality product. You know, they, they sound like really simple things, but they, it's taken me 15 years to learn the importance of all of those things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been critical to the early success that we've been able to have at Zeroco. I, I quite often say, you know, Zeroco is an overnight success 15 years in the making. <laughs> I think, I think it's amazing. And, you know, just being able to understand and really communicate to people to change their habits and things like that, like we already mentioned, maybe it's a good thing that you find yourself woefully, as you call it, <laughs> <laughs> because I just think that you've been able to do that without having to draw from anything. Like you had to just do it from scratch. And what do you know, just purely as a consumer from what you want as well? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it has definitely been, at times, I feel like it's been a massive disadvantage not knowing my way around this industry. But at the same time, it's been a massive advantage because I've been able to come into this industry and look at it with fresh eyes. And the vast majority of the people that we've hired at ZeroCo, there's 33 of us in the team now. Most of us have never worked in this category before. So we're all looking at this with fresh eyes through a new lens, basically through the lens of everyday people that want to stop using single-use plastic in our own lives, in our own homes. And if we can solve the problem for ourselves, 
then we can solve it for lots of other people. And how are you finding the hiring? Because obviously your, your team is expanding. So how's that going for you? How important is creating a really good culture of these not wildlife warriors, but just people that really care? Yeah, it's so two parts of that. Culture is everything in, in our business. Mm-hmm. We, we spend a lot of time and effort nurturing culture. Mm-hmm. And, and as you say, to, to make sure that we get the right people. And, and I have a philosophy of, you know, get the right people on the bus. Doesn't matter where they're sitting, just get them on the bus first and then work out where they're going to sit. So we've spent a lot of time recruiting and going to, you know, big lengths to get some really high caliber, really talented people to join our business, just getting them on the mission, on the journey, on the, on the bus, and then working out where everyone's going to sit. And then the second part is that hiring at the moment is more challenging than it probably has ever been in the history of Australia, right? Um, Mm. There is such a massive shortage of available talent. Uh, So it, it really is an employee's market at the moment. So it's been, it's taking us twice as long and costing us twice as much to, to hire so if you're listening and you want to come and work at Xerico and you're a legend and you're an awesome person, um, mike at xerico.com.au is my email address. Email me. That's so good. And with, I guess, talking about the next kind of steps for you. So your first products were the cleaning ones. You've yep. just gone into body and skincare. Yep. What's next? Yeah, so we have got 15 products in development at the moment. Wow. So by the end of this year or by Christmas or early January, we will have about... 30 to 35 products in our portfolio. Um, and that, that was the plan from day one. The goal here is to basically have every single personal care and home cleaning product that you use all the products in your kitchen, laundry and bathroom available through zero co single use plastic free. That's, that's the kind of goal. Yeah. And then the next big evolution for us is expanding into becoming an omni-channel business. So not just a, a direct to customer online company, but being available everywhere that everyday Aussies buy these products. So we've got some big conversations underway at the moment. I can't probably say who they're with, but I guess you can probably imagine yeah. with the big retailers out there to, you know, to make our products available to every single household all around Australia. I do think that you guys have the most beautiful packaging. I'll say it. Oh, amazing. Thank you. I think it's so aesthetically pleasing. How important for you was making sure that having eye-grabbing products was at the forefront of it. Can I tell you a little story here? Yes. Can we go on a little meandering path Please. to answer, answer this? Um, my dad is a massive beetroot fan. <laughs> about That's that not what I was expecting you to say at all. My, <laughs> my dad is a massive beetroot fan and because he's a massive beetroot fan, myself and my sister have become massive beetroot fans and in our parents' house, there is a Tupperware container that holds the beetroot, right? That has existed since we were kids. It's one of those old mustardy colored beetroot containers, right? And at some point in the future, when my parents pass away, there will be a debate between my sister and I about who gets the beetroot container, right? Because there's all of this emotion and history built into the stories that surround this beetroot container. That's what I want Xeroco packaging to become. I want Xeroco packaging to become generational items of affection and memory and history because that's the whole purpose of plastic, right? Plastic is this incredible, incredibly durable, incredibly cheap material to make Mm. that's designed to last forever. It's not designed to be used for a couple of weeks and thrown away. That's the problem we have with plastic is how we're using it, not plastic itself. Mm. Um, And so 
we want we want all of our packaging to be fought over by kids when their parents pass away. I know it sounds crazy, um, but if we can get to that that kind of place where they they become so aesthetically pleasing and wrapped in so much history, then we will solve our problem of not buying stuff and throwing it away. Literally buying one thing and keeping it for your life and then handing it down to your children. I love that story. But I think that it's also interesting because what you've had to do with that story, what you've had to do is look into the past and the future and figure out what's going to be cool back then and what's going to be cool yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and look, we, we, at the time, you know, the aesthetic that we took was radically different to everything in the personal care and the home cleaning category. Um, you know, the industry has, I'm not going to say copied us, but there's been, you know, a trend towards where we've gone with interesting color palettes, interesting shapes. It, it was very much about creating something that is distinctive, that's mm. totally going to jump out at people and will be immediately identifiable as a zero code product, but also is this kind of future looking thing that people are going to want to have for, a hundred years, hopefully. Well, I mean, you brought up Aesop before, and I think that they they're they're very premium, but also they were such leaders in their packaging because it was so simple, and it just listed mm. the ingredients, and they just chose the right font and chose the right color glass, and totally, they won the game. Totally, and now everyone has copied it, bastardized it, watered it down. You know, you go into the personal care aisle at the supermarket and every hand wash and body wash brand looks exactly like Aesop now, right? I know. They're all beautiful brown with a white label. I won't name who, but I'm winking at you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I totally. Think we they, all that, that are not recyclable, just so everyone, everyone understands. When you buy one of those brown, amber-coloured bottles, cannot be recycled in Australia. What country do you think is really nailing the sustainability game? Who do you look up to to go, wow, that's awesome? It's a really good question. I think um, I think when you look at Europe, they are much further ahead of us in terms of broader sustainability. When you look at renewable energy, um, when you look at recycling systems, when you look at legislation around making companies be responsible for their waste streams. Um, the European Union is, is, is vastly ahead of Australia. Mm. But without, without being a pessimist, we still have a really, really long way to go in all of the developed world, right? We, we've kind of been sold this lie about recycling. There was a report that just came out in the US last week that showed that only 9% of all of the plastic that is used that is used in America actually gets recycled, even though they've got a developed recycling system. The federal government released a waste report in Australia about 18 months ago, which showed that only 15% of all the plastic that we use in Australia actually gets recycled. So we, we still have this massive misconception out there that recycling is a legitimate thing mm. that you use a bottle you put it in your recycling bin it goes to this magical place and gets turned into another bottle which is categorically fundamentally 100% not what happens with recycling it is not a solution to the problem so i think we need to move to these circular supply chain models right where you we, we need to move away from this single use mentality where you buy mm. stuff and, and chuck it away and I think, again, like the UK is, is well ahead of Australia in, in this kind of model. There are lots of, in our category, lots of refill stations in supermarkets, lots of return type business models, which we haven't yet scaled out in Australia. Considering what you're saying about what we think about recycling, I was just thinking then maybe it's a it's a re-education piece and you need to almost rename it and call it reusable rather than recycling because recycling is just not doing what we, what we now associate that word with. Mm, totally. It, it's actually... 
Um, there's a there's a really interesting documentary. I think it's on Netflix that talks about the history of recycling and how it became a thing. And and the whole industry was basically invented, or the concept of recycling as a concept, right, was invented by the big plastic companies and the big petroleum companies in the 1950s to essentially say to governments around the world as they were creating this new material called plastic, which was incredibly profitable for them to make because it's a byproduct of petrol exploration and development, they basically invented this thing called recycling and they said to the governments of the world, this material will be infinitely recyclable. You'll build these recycling centres and customers will put them in the bin and you'll take it to the recycling centre and they'll be remade into other products. And they promised us this was going to be a thing. And it just fundamentally has not worked out the way that it was pitched to the governments of the world. Yeah. So it's actually pretty crazy that this whole concept that we thought of as being sustainable and being good for the planet was actually, you know, an invention of the oil and gas industry to sell people this shit that comes out of the ground that's not that great for the planet, yeah. which is quite fascinating. Yeah, so it's once again just misleading communications that's just existed for so long that it becomes the truth. Totally, totally, totally. And and even like even when we look at some of the government incentives that are in place right now, you know, there's lots of grants around recycling. Even further up the chain, there's all these government grants being released now around circular economy and, and they're using this green sustainability circular economy kind of pitch to the voters of Australia and saying we're investing in all these things. But then all of the money for these grants programs, they don't go to circular economy businesses. They go to waste management companies, which is like at the bottom of the waste period. You know, you've we've been taught this thing about reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm. And there's all this money and infrastructure and advertising and, and communications dollars going to recycle. No one talking about reduce and reuse, which is actually what we need to do to solve the problem. Going back to marketing, you guys had a really great um, campaign go live last week, the Tiny Billboards campaign. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. us through a little bit about what that is and what that means? So we launched our body care products a couple of weeks ago, so shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, body lotion, and we thought what's what's a really interesting, simple idea that we can use to effectively get the word out to some people around <laughs> this this new product launch? The idea here was just... We want to inspire people to make a really small change, right? Mm. So that the tagline for our campaign was start small. If we can just get hundreds of thousands of people to make a really small change, which is instead of going to the supermarket and buying a single-use plastic bottle of roll-on deodorant, go to zeroco.com.au, buy one of our refillable, reusable forever bottles of deodorant, right? If we can get 100,000 people to do that, that's a massive impact on the planet. So. Mm. The campaign was called Start Small and we thought, what's a really cool way to communicate that? And we thought, well, let's go and create the smallest billboard campaign of all time and literally had these tiny, tiny little billboards that we stuck in laneways and on street corners and whatever around Sydney, Melbourne and and Brisbane where we're based with a QR code um, and the first 50 people to find the billboards, scan the QR codes, got a, um, a free box of our body care products. So super simple execution, but got people talking about Xeroco and and most importantly, starting to think about starting small and these small changes, these simple changes that everyday people can make that add up to big impacts on the planet. Now, you've spoken a lot about locally. Do you have any plans to do overseas expansion? Is Australia, you want to conquer Australia first? Basically, yes. So we, we, we have a plan to go international. We are actively building out our supply chains in Europe and in North America. We've got our contract manufacturers being developed products being tested for the local markets there getting all the regulatory stuff done so we will we will go international but we need to get a bit bigger here in australia first we need to kind of crack 
the supermarkets. We need to crack the pharmacy chains. Mm. We need to essentially have our products available to everyone in Australia. We want to get to a million households, right? We're in 60,000 households right now. To have an impact, we need to be in a million households. So we've got to get that sorted before we go international. Household product and you want to be a household name. I love it. Yeah, totally. I did see on your website there was something around sustainable stays. Yes. Do you want to have a chat about what that means? Yeah, totally. So we we launched a new platform, I guess, called Sustainable Stays, which kind of came about organically. We had a number of customers reach out to us who have an Airbnb property, right? Mm. And they said, we've got an Airbnb. We'd love to put your products in there. Can we do some kind of arrangement, a bulk kind of wholesale order arrangement? And so it started really organically. And then we just thought there's 100,000 Airbnb properties in Australia. We've got a pretty big audience now. We've got over 100,000 followers across our social channels. Mm. What if we could incentivize and help Airbnb owners get more bookings by using Xerico products and therefore we promote it through their community. So we built this property called Sustainable Stays. Um, if you go to xerico.com.au forward slash stays, I think it is, you'll see that we've got a whole listing of there might be 50 accommodation providers now that are using Xerico products. And in return, we promote those venues through our emails, through our socials. And then we've got a little QR code at those properties. And anytime that one of their guests purchases Xerico products, they get a commission on that sale. So it helps them oh, wow. you know, get more bookings by, by promoting their venue, but then they can earn a little bit of extra money from each stay as well. Sustainable stays is so big at the moment as well. They are globally, I just think it's a massive thing. Totally, totally. We're, we are um, very mindful of this growing trend around, you know, experiences that people want to be involved with mm. that are sustainable by nature. So we've just launched this, this new um, program called Un- Untrashed, which is a series of experiences, travel experiences that are linked to ocean cleanup activity. So we've, we're doing our first one this weekend. Um, we had 30, was a limited booking for 30 guests. It sold out in kind of 24 hours. Wow. And we're taking 30 of our customers to Gari, formerly known as Fraser Island, for a three-day experience. And we'll spend half of that time actually doing ocean cleanup work, pulling plastic out of the ocean that will then go into our next round of production. So it's a thing that's taking off all around the world, right? All these different types of experiences that have sustainability at their heart. So you're based in Byron. I just think you're probably in one of the best corners of Australia to be doing this sort of stuff. How is it with the community there? Do they really get involved in what you guys are doing with the ocean cleanup and everything? Yeah, it's been really awesome to be here in Byron Bay. It's a really interesting place in that it's it's still a small town, right? There's only 10,000 residents in, in Byron Bay itself, mm. but there's this huge number of startups in a whole bunch of industries, you know, in sustainability, but also in, in tech and fashion. So it's really cool to be surrounded by this kind of community of like-minded people, startup people, startup businesses. So yeah, we, we've been able to build some really awesome relationships with other people that are trying to do good for the planet, which has been great. And I think that that's really cool because you know, we've spoken at length already about the importance of community. And then if you are able to live that as well as promote that, I think that everything kind of, it's, it's a nice synergy. And I hate using that word. It's such a buzzword. (laughs) Buzzword bingo. (laughs) Tick. I'm going to say pivot next or something. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're totally right. And that's, that's one of the great things about Byron Bay is there is this genuine sense of community. Like I've lived in, in lots of different places Mm -hmm. and there is this real genuine, authentic sense of 
if you live here, if you're trying to do something awesome here, people rally around one another and help one another. So it's been awesome to be able to be part of that. Great. And the last thing that we always do, what's a local brand, business, influencer or person that you think we should be watching out for who is doing amazing things? Shout out to Pete Siglinski from Seabin. Oh my God, I had a mental blank just then. <laughs> Pete, sorry, sorry about that, Pete, if you're listening. Um, Pete, Pete from Seabin, he's, um, he's a local guy, local business who, if you're not aware, have built these incredible floating trash cans that go into harbors and river systems and, and literally collect rubbish out of mm. the ocean. They launched here in Australia a couple of years ago and they've now just launched in America. They've just got their first sea bin in the water in, in LA, which is so awesome and incredible. And they did an equity crowdfunding campaign last year. So they've got a bunch of community kind of owners as well. Epic business. I've seen sea bin around. It is remarkable to watch the footage of it. It's incredible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Epic invention. Epic Aussie invention from Byron Bay Shire. I mean, Australia really, see, there, there is definitely including yourself, some real leaders in this category coming out. And it's, it is exciting to see. I know that we're probably a lot further behind than what other places should be, but I'm not going to use the word trend for sustainability anymore. I think that that would be doing what, what everyone like you are doing a disservice because it's not a trend. It's, it should be a lifestyle change. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a heap of businesses and heap of startups in this space. And also like a bunch of really great kind of facilitators of this space now, you know, mm. um, you know, Tim Silverwood, who, who kind of founded Take Three for the Sea and has now launched Ocean Impact Organization, mm. you know, starting to build these accelerators and these VC funds around investing in companies that are trying to solve big environmental problems, which is so exciting to see the, the kind of explosion of impact investing and accelerated networks and programs for sustainably minded startups in Australia. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. And do you want to let the people know where to find you and where to find Zero Co? Totally. If I haven't dropped it enough throughout the, um, <laughs> the podcast, <laughs> zeroco.com.au. <laughs> that's, that's where you can go to get all of your personal care and home cleaning products straight to your door, minus the single-use plastic. Amazing. Thanks so much, Mike. It's been really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. 